0: Chapter 27 of A Son at the Front by Edith Wharton This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. George, that evening, seemed rather better, and his temperature had not gone up. Campton had to repress a movement of jealousy at Julia's having done her son no harm. Her experience as a nurse, disciplining a vague gift for the sick-room, had developed in her the faculty of self-command. Before the war, if George had met with a dangerous accident, she would have been more encumbering than helpful. Campton had to admit the change, but it did not draw them any nearer. Her manner of loving their son was too different. Nowadays, when he and Anderson Brandt were together, he felt that they were thinking of the same thing in the same way. But Julia's face, even aged and humanized by grief, was still a mere mask to him he could never tell what form her thoughts about george might be taking mr brandt on his wife's arrival had judged it discreet to efface himself campton hunted for him in vain in the park and under the cloister he remained invisible till they met at the early dinner which they shared with the staff but the meal did not last long and when it was over and nurses and doctors scattered mr brandt again slipped away leaving his wife and campton alone campton glanced after him surprised why does he go Mrs. Brandt pursed her lips, evidently as much surprised by his question as he by her husband's withdrawal. I suppose he's going to bed to be ready for his early start tomorrow. A start? She stared. He's going back to Paris. Campton was genuinely astonished. Is he? I'm sorry. Oh, she seemed unprepared for this. After all, you must see, we can't very well, all three of us, especially with these nuns. Oh, if it's only that she did not take this up and one of their usual silences followed campton was thinking that it was all nonsense about the nuns and meditating on the advisability of going in pursuit of mr brant to tell him so he dreaded the prospect of a long succession of days alone between george and george's mother mrs brant spoke again i was sorry to find that the sisters have been kept on here are they much with george the sisters i don't know the upper nurses are red cross as you saw But of course the others are about a good deal. What's wrong? They seem to me perfect. She hesitated and colored a little. I don't want them to find out about the extreme unction, she finally said. Campton repeated her words blankly. He began to think that anxiety and fatigue had confused her mind. She colored more deeply. Oh, I forgot. You don't know. I couldn't think of anything but George at first, and the whole thing is so painful to me. Where's my bag? She groped for her reticule, found it in the folds of the cloak she had kept about her shoulders, and fumbled in it with wrinkled, jeweled fingers. Anderson hasn't spoken to you, then. Spoken about Mrs. Talcott? she asked suddenly. About Mrs. Talcott? Why should he? What on earth has happened? Oh, I wouldn't see her myself. I, I couldn't. So he had to. She had to be thanked, of course. But it seems to me so dreadful, so very dreadful. Our boy. That woman. Campton did not press her further. He sat dumbfounded, trying to take in what she was so obviously trying to communicate, and yet instinctively resisting the approach of the revelation he foresaw. George? Mrs. Talcott? He forced himself to couple the two names, unnatural as their union seemed. I suppose you knew. Isn't it dreadful? A woman old enough? She drew a letter from her bag. He interrupted her. Is that letter what you want to show me? Yes, she insisted on Anderson's keeping it for you. She said it belonged to us, I believe. It seems there was a promise made the night before he was mobilized that if anything happened, he would get a word to her. No thought of us. Campton reached out for the letter. Mrs. Talcott. Madge Talcott and George, that was where the boy had gone then, that last night when his father, left alone at the Creon, had been so hurt by his desertion that was the name which in his hours of vigil in the little white room campton had watched for on his son's lips the name which one day sooner or later he would have to hear them pronounce how little he had thought as he sat studying the mysterious beauty of george's face what a commonplace secret it concealed the writing was not george's but that of an unlettered french soldier campton glancing at the signature recalled it as that of his son's orderly who had been slightly wounded in the same attack as george and sent for twenty-four hours to the same hospital at doulon he had been at george's side when he fell and with a simple directness often natural to his class in france he told the tale of his lieutenant's wounding in circumstances which appeared to have given george great glory in the eyes of his men they thought the wound mortal but the orderly and a stretcher-bearer had managed to get the young man into the shelter of a little wood the stretcher-bearer it turned out was a priest he had at once applied the consecrated oil and George, still conscious, had received it with a beautiful smile. Then the orderly, thinking all was over, had hurried back to the fighting and been wounded. The next day he too had been carried to Doulon, and there, after many inquiries, he had found his lieutenant in the same hospital, alive but too ill to see him. He had contrived, however, to see the nurse, and had learned from her that the doctors had not given up hope. With that he had to be content— But before returning to his base, he had hastened to fulfill his lieutenant's instructions, given many months earlier, by writing to tell his lady that he was severely wounded but still alive, which is a good deal in itself, the orderly hopefully ended, not to mention his receiving the Legion of Honor. Campton laid the letter down. There was too much to be taken in all at once, and as usual in moments of deep disturbance, he wanted to be alone, above all wanted to be away from Julia but Julia held him with insistent eyes. Do you want this? he asked finally, pushing the letter toward her. She recoiled. Want it? A letter written to that woman? No. I should have returned it at once, but Anderson wouldn't let me. Think of her forcing herself upon me as she did, and making you paint her portrait. I see it all now. Had you any idea this was going on? Campton shook his head and, perceived by her look of relief, "'that what she had resented above all "'was the thought of his being in a secret of George's "'from which she herself was excluded. "'Adèle didn't know either,' she said, "'with evident satisfaction. "'Campton remembered that he had been struck "'by Miss Anthony's look of sincerity "'when he had asked her if she had any idea "'where George had spent his last evening, "'and she had answered negatively. "'This recollection made him understand "'Mrs. Brant's feeling of relief. "'Perhaps, after all, it's only a flirtation,' A mere sentimental friendship, he hazarded. A flirtation? Mrs. Brant's Mater rosa face suddenly sharpened to worldly astuteness. A sentimental friendship? Have you ever heard George mention her name or make any sort of allusion to such a friendship? Campton considered. No, I don't remember his ever speaking of her. Well then her eyes had the irritated look he had seen on the far-off day when he had thrown beausite's dinner invitation into the fire once more they seemed to say she had taken the measure of his worldly wisdom george's silence his care not even to mention that the talcots were so much as known to him certainly made it look as though the matter went deep with him campton recalling the tone of the talcot drawing-room and its familiars had an even stronger recoil of indignation than julia's but he was silenced by a dread of tampering with his son's privacy, a sense of the sacredness of everything pertaining to that still mysterious figure in the white bed upstairs. Mrs. Brant's face had clouded again. It's also dreadful, and this extreme unction, too. What is it exactly, do you know? A sort of baptism? Will the Roman church try to get hold of him on the strength of it? Campton remembered with a faint inward amusement that, in spite of her foreign bringing up and all her continental affinities, Julie had remained as implacably and incuriously Protestant as if all her life she had heard the scarlet woman denounce from Presbyterian pulpits, and another time it would have amused him to ponder on this one streak in her of the ancestral iron. But now he wanted only to console her. Oh no, it was just the accident of the priests being there. One of our chaplains would have done the same thing. She looked at him mistrustfully. The same kind of thing? It's never the same with them. Whatever they do reaches ahead. I've seen such advantage taken of the wounded when they were too weak to resist. Didn't know what they were saying or doing. Her eyes filled with tears. A priest and a woman. I feel as if I'd lost my boy. The words went through Campton like a sword, and he sprang to his feet. Oh, for God's sake, be quiet. Don't say it. What does anything matter but that he's alive? Of course, of course. I didn't mean, but that he should only think of her and not of us. That he should have deceived us about everything everything oh don't say that either don't tempt providence if he deceived us as you call it we've no one but ourselves to blame you and i and well and Brandt. didn't we all do our best to make him deceive us with our intriguing and our wire-pulling and our cowardice how he despised us for it yes thank god how he despised us from the first he didn't hide the truth from boylston or adele because they were the only two on a level with him and they knew why he'd deceived us; they understood him, they betted him from the first. He stopped, checked by Mrs. Brant's pale, bewildered face, and the eyes imploringly lifted as if to ward off unintelligible words. Ah, well, all this is no use, he said. We've got him safe, and it's more than we deserve. He laid his hand on her shoulder, go to bed. You're dead beat. only don't say things things that might wake up the furies. He pocketed the letter and went out in search of Mr. Brandt, followed by her gaze of perplexity. The latter was smoking a last cigar as he paced up and down the cloister with upturned coat collar. Silence lay on the carefully darkened building, crouching low under an icy sea fog. At intervals, through the hush, the waves continued to mimic the booming of guns. Campton drew out the orderly's letter. I hear you're leaving tomorrow early, and I suppose I'd better give this back, he said. Mr. Brand had evidently expected him. Oh, thanks. But Mrs. Talcott says she has no right to it. No right to it? That's a queer thing to say. So I thought. I suppose she meant till you'd seen it. She was dreadfully upset till she saw me. She supposed he was dead. Campton shivered. She sent this to your house? Yes, the moment she got it. It was waiting there when my... When Julia arrived. And you went to thank her? Yes, Mr. Brandt hesitated. Julia disliked to keep the letter, and I thought it only proper to take it back myself. Certainly, and what was your impression? Mr. Brandt hesitated again. He had already, Campton felt, reached the utmost limit of his power of communicativeness. It was against all his habits to commit himself. Finally, he said in an unsteady voice, it was impossible not to feel sorry for her. Did she say... "'Uh, anything special? Anything about herself? And... "'No, not a word. She was, well, all broken up, as they say. "'Poor thing,' Campton murmured. "'Yes, oh, yes.' "'Mr. Brandt held the letter, turning it thoughtfully about. "'It's a great thing,' he began abruptly, as if the words were beyond his control. "'To have such a beautiful account of the affair. "'George himself, of course, would never... "'No, never,' Campton considered. "'You must take it back to her naturally.' but I should like to have a copy first. Mr. Brandt put a hand in his pocket. I supposed you would, and I took the liberty of making two. Oh, privately, of course. I hope you'll find my writing fairly legible. He drew two folded sheets from his note-case and offered one to Campton. Oh, thank you. The two men grasped hands through the fog. Mr. Brandt turned to continue his round, and Campton went up to the whitewashed cell in which he was lodged. Screening his candle to keep the least light from leaking through the shutters, he reread the story of George's wounding, copied out in the cramped, tremulous writing of a man who never took pen in hand but to sign a daily batch of typed letters. The handmade copy of a letter by Mr. Brandt represented something like the pious toll expended by a monkish scribe on the page of a missal, and Campton was moved by the little man's devotion as for the letter campton had no sooner begun to reread it than he entirely forgot that it was a message of love addressed at george's request to mrs talkett and saw in it only the record of his son's bravery and for the first time he understood that from the moment of george's wounding until now he had never really thought of him in relation to the war never thought of his judgment on the war of all the unknown emotions resolves and actions which had drawn him so many months ago from his safe shelter in the argon These things Campton unconsciously had put out of his mind, or rather had lost out of his mind, from the moment when he had heard of Georgia's wounding. By and by, he knew the sense of them, and of the questions they raised, would come back and possess him. But meanwhile, emptied of all else, he brimmed with the mere fact of Georgia's bodily presence, with the physical signs of him, his weakness, his temperature, the pain in his arm, the oppression on his lung, all the daily insistent details involved in coaxing him slowly back to life the father could bear no more he put the letter away as a man might put away something of which his heart was too full to measure later yes now all he knew was that his son was alive but the hour of campton's entering into glory came when two or three days later george asked with a sudden smile when i exchanged regiments i did what you'd always hoped i would eh dad it was the first allusion on the part of either to the mystery of george's transit from the argon to the front at Dulon, he had been too weak to be questioned and as he grew stronger and entered upon the successive stages of his convalescence he gave the impression of having travelled far beyond such matters and of living his real life in some unconceivable region from which with that new smile of his he continued to look down unseeingly on his parents it's exactly as if he were dead the father thought and if he were he might go on watching us with just such a smile And then, one morning, as they were taking a few steps on a sunny terrace, Campton had felt the pressure of the boy's sound arm and caught the old George in his look. I... Good Lord, at any rate, I'm glad you felt sure of me. Campton could only stammer in reply. George laughed. Well, rather. There was a long silence full of sea murmurs, too drowsy and indolent for once to simulate the horror of the guns. I... "'I only wish you'd felt you could trust me about it from the first, as you did Adele and Boylston,' the father continued. "'But, my dear fellow, I did feel it. I swear I did. Only you see there was mother. I thought it all over and decided it would be easier for you both if I said nothing. "'And after all, I'm glad now that I didn't. That is, if you really do understand.' "'Yes, I understand. That's jolly.' George's eyes turned from his and rested with a joyful gravity on the little round-faced sister who hurried up to say that he'd been out long enough. Campton often caught him fixing this look of serene benevolence on the people who were gradually repeopling his world, a look which seemed to say that they were new to him yet dimly familiar. He was like a traveler returning after incommunicable adventures to the place where he lived as a child. And, as this happens with such wanderers, the trivial and insignificant things—the things a newcomer would not have noticed—seemed often to interest him most of all. He said nothing more about himself, but with a look of recovered humanness which made him more lovable if less remotely beautiful, began to question his father. Boylston wrote that you'd begun to paint again. I'm glad. Oh, I only took it up for a while last spring. Portraits? A few, but I chucked it. I couldn't stand the atmosphere. What atmosphere? What atmosphere? "'of people who could want to be painted at such a time, "'people who wanted to secure a Campton. "'Oh, and then the dealers, God.' "'George seemed unimpressed. "'After all, life's got to go on. "'Yes, that's what they say, "'and the only result is to make me doubt if theirs has.' "'His son laughed and then threw off. "'You did, Mrs. Talcott?' "'Yes,' Campton snapped, off his guard.' "'She's a pretty creature,' said George, and at that moment his eyes, resting again on the little nurse, who was waiting at his door with a cup of cocoa, lit up with celestial gratitude. "'The communique's good today,' she cried, and he smiled at her boyishly. The war was beginning to interest him again. Campton was sure that every moment he could spare from that unimaginable region, which his blue eyes guarded like a sword, was spent among his comrades at the front.' as the day approached for the return to paris campton began to penetrate more deeply into the meaning of george's remoteness he himself he discovered had been all unawares in a far country a country guarded by a winged sentry as the old hymn had it the region of silent incessant communion with his son just they two everything else effaced not discarded destroyed nor disregarded even but blotted out by a soft silver haze as the brown slopes and distances were, on certain days, from the windows of the seaward-gazing hospital. It was not that Campton had been unconscious of the presence of other suffering about them. As George grew stronger and took his first steps in the wards, he and his father were inevitably brought into contact with the life of the hospital. George had even found a few friends, and two or three regimental comrades, among the officers, perpetually coming and going, or enduring the long weeks of agony which led up to the end. But that was only towards the close of their sojourn, when George was about to yield his place to others, and be taken to Paris for the re-education of his shattered arm. And by that time the weeks of solitary communion had left such an imprint on Campton that, once the hospital was behind him, and no more than a phase of memory, it became to him as one of its own sea mists. In which he and his son might have been peacefully shut away together from all the rest of the world. End of chapter twenty seven.